Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going On 30, a popping collar side project where we're best friends. Oh, dear. You're my best friend. Oh, Greg. With movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month. We're looking at the winner. Cook the chicken properly for dinner. Driving Miss Daisy. My mother's a little high strung. The fact is, you'd be working for me. She can say anything she likes, but she can't fire you. I wouldn't be in your shoes if the sweet Lord Jesus come down and asked me himself. I don't need you. I don't want you. And I don't like you saying I'm rich. are you doing? I'm trying to drive you to the stove. You're speeding, I can see it. We're only doing about 19 miles an hour. I like to go under the speed limit. But speed limit's 35, yeah. Nothing came easy. Morning, Miss Daisy. You leave my flower bed alone. They didn't connect. I just love a house of pictures, Miss Daisy. I don't want you nosing through my things. They couldn't agree. You took the wrong turn at Old Polite. Well, now you took it with me, Miss Daisy. And you got the man. They wouldn't give in. Well, I'll help you to the door. Thank you, Hoke. I can help myself. Now, ain't just some back of the neck you look at while you're going wherever you got to go. I'm a man. But from place to place... I ever tell you about the first time I leave the state of Georgia? When was that? A few minutes back. <laughs> from season to season... It's not a Christmas present. Oh, no. Well, go on, open it up. Look at that. Ain't nobody never given that book before, Miss Daisy. <laughs> For 25 years, they shared each other's lives. You ought not to be driving anything the way you see. How you know how I can see less than you can look out my eyes. And touched each other's hearts. Hope? Yes. You're my best friend. Morgan Freeman. Jessica Tandy, Dan Aykroyd, Driving Miss Daisy. Did you have the air condition check? I told you to have the air condition check. I don't know what for. You don't never allow me to turn it on. Hush up. Goodbye. Good luck. Good God. I have a brief description of this movie. Okay. Would you like to hear my brief description? I would love movie? it. This adaptation of Alfred Urey's Pulitzer Prize winning play looks at the 25 year relationship between an elderly Jewish woman and her African American chauffeur. I hadn't done the full math. Yeah, 25 years. Uh, Betsy, what is your history with driving Miss Daisy? I feel like I saw this in the theater. Yeah, altogether possible. This is a PG movie. Sure. My, my my daughter watched this one with me, too. She did not write poetry during this one, like Dead Poet yeah. Society, but she watched it, too. She thought it was sweet. I'm glad that we have the teenage demographic. Between the tweens say it's a sweet movie. It thinks it's pushing the envelope, and maybe that's 2020 eyes looking at this. I think it thinks it's making huge statements, and maybe for its time it is. But I think looking at it then, people would have been like, oh, yeah, that's a good movie. I agree with with you. I, okay, so my note on this was 
this is an unremarkable movie. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's bad. I at no point was I watching this thinking, oh, this is garbage. Like it was fine. And I think that that's what sort of drives you crazy about this movie is that the stakes are so low in this movie. They're just really low stakes. It's pretty good. It's not bad. You know how in uh, the book of Revelation, there's the statement about that church that's like middling. It's like a lukewarm in its sort of praise of God. It's like not too bad, not too great, not too low. It's just kind of right in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it's like the one that God detests the most. Yes. That's kind of my experience with this movie. It's so inoffensive that it just makes me angry <laughs> when I watch it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I walked away with maybe uh, not anger, but just like it was nice. Yeah. Nice. I, I had a similar feeling to you. Maybe not as ornery as you seem to be. I had no problems watching this movie. It's like it wants to be a movie about race, but it has nothing to say about interesting about sort of race and the relationship between Daisy and Hoke. It's a movie about the South and Jewish people in the South, which is also very interesting because having grown up in the South, like I had no sense of like a Jewish community surrounding me. Whereas in I, North have Carolina. A, I have a very different experience. Right. Huge, and so I was like, huge, man, yeah. what an interesting angle, like a, a Jewish family, fairly wealthy Jewish family in atlanta georgia what an interesting angle does nothing with it so it's like it has all of these sort of setups for being an interesting movie that's about something and it goes for the lowest common denominator every single time and that's that's what's frustrating i think it does make me when i watch it it does make me wonder what it was like as a pulitzer prize winning play you know, because you have this large passage of time. They did a nice job with that throughout the movie itself, like with the the change to the factory, the change to the cars, the graying of hair, the 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 way the characters have to physically embody the actors physically embody their characters, and how that that positioning changes over the course of time. I did like I did like that in terms of how the choices that were made in terms of direction and um, set design. Mm-hmm. That. I thought that was that was nice because I didn't realize it was such a wide swath of time. It's a personal story for Alfred Urey, right? So yeah. this is based on his grandmother, Lena Fox, and her chauffeur, Will Coleman, and then his dad as the bully character. I have seen this movie before, too. I didn't talk about my history, but I think I've only seen this movie one other time. For whatever reason, I had this image in my head of like, man, Jessica Tandy slays it in this movie. She kills it. And I didn't come away thinking that after the movie was over, watching it this time. Yeah, well, I mean, she is a huge stage actress, was. Right? I mean, she's won like four Tony Awards. You know, she's she's great. And she, I remember her being married to Hugh Cronin, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that just takes me right to Cocoon, baby. Right to Cocoon. Like, <laughs> just so good. And they're so cute. I actually went and I watched her acceptance speeches for the Golden Globes and for the Oscars. And I heard something super- I heard something that may not be true. But oh, someone now said we're that, spreading lies. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I heard something, and I don't know what the source was, that... Tom Cruise is the same age now that Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon. Oh, man. 
<laughs> Isn't that crazy to think about? I mean, you don't know what Wilford Brimley looked like underneath all that facial hair. You don't know. <laughs> you he don't know. Been doing Mission Impossibles. He, he could have was... been. He starts his day with oatmeal, and I'm not underestimating <laughs> him. My hot take from this movie that I didn't really see before is this idea of appearance and how we appear to other people, how we want to appear to other people. You know, growing up in the South, and I'm, I'm sure everybody, every human being is concerned with their appearance, but there is something about this idea of the neighbors talking and people seeing and and that a lot of that that is that gets heaped on Southern culture. So that that's why you'll have people who will be super nice and kind to your face. Oh, of course, you know, and then behind the scenes, like, nah, you know, there, there, so there's this disingenuousness uh, up front, right? And you see how I found that really interesting to watch Jessica Tandy wrestling with how she's perceived, what's her appearance, right? You, you start out at the beginning with her putting the car into the neighbor's yard and everybody's out there watching, right, as the tow truck is doing its job. And she's in the house completely embarrassed and her appearing strong and independent and resilient and not wanting to appear rich. And the way she keeps bringing up Forsyth Street as, you know, but we grew up on Forsyth Street. And mm-hmm. so this idea that she does not perceive herself or her privilege in the same way. And that then when when Hope comments on it or calls it out, that that she becomes very uncomfortable with that. Right. But what I like is that over the course of time, he does not back down from that being the perception of calling the truth the truth about mm-hmm. the ability and wealth that she does have. Something wrong back there, Miss Daisy? No. Something I done? No. Yes. Miss Daisy, I ain't done nothing. You had the car parked right in front of the front door of the temple like I was the Queen of Romania. Everybody saw you. Didn't I tell you to wait for me in the back? Well... Yeah, some, but I just trying to... Well, there's two other chauffeurs right behind me there. You made me look like a fool. A G.D. fool. Oh, Miss Daisy. Lord knows you ain't no fool. Slow down. Miriam and Beulah and them, I could see what they were thinking when we came out of services. What's that? But I was trying to pretend I was rich. Well, you is rich, Miss Daisy. No, I'm not. And nobody can say I put on airs. On Forsyth Street, we made many a meal off of grits and gravy. I've done without plenty of times, I can tell you. Miss Daisy, if I was to ever get my hands on what you got, shoot, I'd be shaking it around for everybody in the world to see. That's vulgar. Don't talk to me. Never going to understand somewhere. What? What was that? I heard that. Now, Miss Daisy... You need a chauffeur. Lord knows I need a job. So why don't we just leave it like that? And there's a softening over the course of the film as both as she softens to being in whatever we're going to call this relationship that they're in. But I was really taken by that idea of how we how we appear to other people and that I didn't notice how much that was going to be you know you you know no one should see you carrying groceries on the trolley miss daisy best scene my best scene is when they're in the car on the way to temple and they're stuck in the traffic because the temple has right. been bombed 
we see so much of her life. We never go home with Hoke, ever. Right. Like, never. We see his granddaughter at the end, but we never see his family. We never see his, he is, it is all taking place in her life. And, you know, the closest we get with the, the funeral of the housekeeper, you know, into mm-hmm. the life of some of a character in the film who's black. And when he starts talking about his friend's father being lynched and mm-hmm. is drawing this comparison between and saying that they are both vulnerable minority groups. Right. But that he he just just keeps talking even though he can tell it's upsetting her. Somebody done bombed the temple. What? Bombed the temple? Yes. That's how come we stuck here so long. I don't believe it. Well, what the policeman just said, I done. Oh, no. Oh, my God. What was anybody there? Were people hurt? I don't know. He didn't say. Who would do such a thing? Well, you know good as me, Miss Daisy. Always be the same ones. I remember one time back down there in Macon. Oh, I couldn't have been no more than 10 or 11 years old, I reckon. I had this friend named Apoda. One day there, his daddy was hanging in a tree. Now, just the day before, we'd all been pitching horseshoes, see? Him laughing and carrying on and talking about how me and Poda was going to have strong right arms, just like him. Lord, there he was, hanging up yonder in the tree. Had his hands tied behind Flies was all over. I tell you, I just threw up right there where I stand. You go on and cry. I'm not crying. Why did you tell me that story? Oh, Lord, I, I don't know, Miss Daisy. Just, just seemed like that air mess back there put me in mind. That's ridiculous. The temple has nothing to do with that. Yeah, if you says. We don't even know what happened. How do you know that policeman was telling you the truth? Well, why would he go and lie about a thing like that? Well, you never get things right anyway. Now, Miss Daisy, somebody done bombed that temple back yonder, and you know it. Go on, just go on now. I don't want to hear any more about it. You the boss. Don't talk to me. I agree with you. Far and away, the best scene in the movie. And as a matter of fact, I had forgotten that it was even in there. And so when that scene starts, it stood out so much for its relevancy and its honesty about yes. a topic that it made you sit up and say, oh, wait a second. This movie does have something. If it wants to, it can actually say something. Yeah, that this could have been this could have been a movie that really was saying a lot about white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and with the 2020 look at this movie, I mean, that's that's where I was thinking most of the time. You know, having mm-hmm. grown up, grown up in the South, grown up with a lot of Jewish friends and being really, you know, loving the Jewish experience and wanting to know more about that from my friends mm-hmm. and knowing that it felt very stable and secure, but that and and at another point it's it's not and it's under threat as well. Yeah. Best performance in the movie. Mm, Patty Lapone. No, I'm just kidding. Let's see. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. I'm going to go with 
Tandy mm-hmm. because I get to see more of her. There's just there's a little more nuance to her performance because we're more in her head and her experience for me. Mm-hmm. Comparing her to Fre- Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to two. There's re- there's really two great performances in yes. this movie, and the rest of them are, God bless them. I landed on the other side. I was pulling for Tandy when I started the movie, and I came away with Freeman. Mainly because I think that it's hard to pull off aged acting. And I was thinking of who are the actors that have done it well, that I could just like think of off the top of my head because he's a young man when he's filming this. Yeah, Jessica Tandy was already old. Yeah. <laughs> this movie. Uh, Morgan Freeman is not old <laughs> during I think this movie. She died. She died maybe three years, four years after this movie. Yeah, something like that. She was like eighty, I think. The two actors that immediately came to mind: Mahershala Ali, because of the last season of True Detective. In that series he plays like a young detective a middle-aged detective and an old an older man and his physicality changes each time and it's just it's stunning to see that done well because there's there's a way of overdoing the age that you know it's like oh shunny boy i'm gonna you know and it's like over the top but to actually feel embodied in it is a little bit more difficult. Max von Sydow in The Exorcist does it well. Because uh, he's young in The Exorcist, and everybody thinks that he's the same age as Father Marin. <laughs> like, and it's just all makeup and his performance. So those were the two that immediately came to mind. But yeah, playing an older person when you're a young person is actually a pretty hard thing to pull off. And I think Freeman does it really well. We don't have to pull over, Miss Daisy. Is something wrong with the car? No, no, ain't nothing wrong with the car. I got the big excuse. What? I got to go make water. You should have thought of that back at the service station. I colored can't use the toilet at none of these service stations. Miss Daisy, you know that. Well, there's no time to stop. We'll be in Mobile soon. You can wait. Yes. No. I told you to wait. Yes, I heard what you said. Now, how you think I feel having to sit up here and ask you, can I go make water like I'm some child? I'd be ashamed. Well, I ain't no child, Miss Daisy. And I ain't just some back of the neck you look at while you're going wherever you got to go. I'm a man. I'm here about 70 years old. And I know when my bladder's full. I might get out of this car and go on off back over here under someone and do what I got to do. I might take the key with me, too. Now that, that, that's all there is to it, man. I also have a Morgan Freeman rule yeah, what's up? that I would need to introduce to the podcast because we're going to see Morgan Freeman quite a bit. Not yes. only this year, but in the years to come. The Morgan Freeman rule is this. If Morgan Freeman is in a movie, he makes a terrible movie watchable. He makes a good movie great, and he makes a great movie excellent. <laughs> that's the Morgan that's, Freeman rule. That's a good. That's a good. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I got stats about the movie. All right, let's do it. Stats. 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 Opened on December thirteenth, nineteen eighty nine. 
Domestic gross of $106 million. This movie's a hit. Wow. The general rule of thumb back in the 80s, early 90s, was that if a movie made $100 million, it was a big hit. So there you go, $106 million. It was the number nine grossing movie of 1989. It is the number 671st top grossing movie of all time between Indecent Proposal and 300 Rise of an Empire. Is that the sequel to the original 300? I think that's the original 300. I think that's just the the long name of it. Oh, okay. uh, what about that as a triple bill? If you if you're stuck at home right now and you're like, I gotta watch three movies, why don't you roll out Indecent Proposal, Driving Miss Daisy, and Three Hundred? It's oh, pretty it's... impressive. <laughs> a lot of different competing energies between those movies. It has an eighty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert, Driving Miss Daisy, is a film of great love and patience. Telling a story that takes 25 years to unfold, exploring its characters as few films take the time to do. Four out of four stars. I disagree with exploring its characters. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point is that this is really from a white experience and that you don't ask deeper questions of, of your help. You, know, you mm-hmm. just don't go deeper. Yes, there were so many moments where I'm like, but ask her about it and talk to him about it. And, and you know, it just just not happening. It's like, like Esther Roll did such a nice job in this mm-hmm. film. And yeah. you just want to be like, just ask her something about it, you know, but they don't. No Pauline Kael review for this movie. How did it do with the Oscars? It won four Oscars. I've already given you one. Best picture. Where are the other three Oscars it won? Betsy. Okay, so Tandy wins. Mm-hmm. How many more do I have? You got two more. Two more. I always pick screenplay. <laughs> did it win for screenplay? It did win. Best so this is what will be adapted. Yep. Okay. Adapted from the play. Yep. Okay. So best adapted screenplay. You got one more. And we've kind of hinted at it in our Morgan Freeman discussion. Oh, oh, um, hair makeup. Yes. yes. Best makeup. Yep. 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 Nominated for five more Oscars. Golly. This thing was nominated for nine Oscars. Crazy. Best lead actor for Morgan Freeman. Best supporting actor, Dan Aykroyd. Oh, what a way. (laughs) What in the world? What happened? I don't know how that happened. Best art direction for set design. Best costume design. Best film editing. Hulk. Yes, do you still have that Hudson? You talking about from when I first come here? Oh, <laughs> no, Mr. Daisy. No, that thing been in the junkyard now I'm on 15 years. No, I'm driving your next to last car now. 1965 Cadillac. Running fine as wine, too. You ought not to be driving anything the way you see. Oh, now, how you know how I can see less than you can look out my eyes. Hmm? Hulk? Yes. You're my best friend. No, go on now, Miss Daisy. No, really. You are. You are. 
Yes. What's the legacy of this movie? I actually, I wrote down two things because I thought that we could go either way. We kind of touched on one of them, though, which is the white supremacy issue. Black lives mean more than white feelings. And so often we reverse the two of those things. There's another aspect of this movie that I thought was interesting, too, which is generational difference and how it can be difficult for generations to communicate with each other because they perceive the world differently. So you hit a lot of this already when we talked about when we talked about Daisy's insistence on claiming poverty and hardship even though she's a wealthy woman in Atlanta, Georgia. And that seems to be a generational like an inherited generational trait, especially of World War II generation and boomers do this too, I think, where they where they claim hardship as a way of sort of legitimizing the choices that they've made in life. It's like, I may be wealthy now, but man, I had it hard and I pulled myself up from my by my bootstraps and they just don't acknowledge the privilege that got them to where they are. Right. They they want to make it sound like they worked for everything. And I don't see that in Gen X or millennials as much. Like the sense that Oh, no, no, I worked really hard. I, wor- I worked really hard. But there's almost this insistency when you get into older generations. Alfred Urey, right? The writer? Right. Being himself a boomer. Mm-hmm. Like, he would be the boomer writer. Because we're talking about a group of people. Like, Jessica Tandy's character was born, like, 1876. Yeah. You know, Ten years after the Civil War. <sighs> yeah, that, that sort of age of a character. And the fact that they are in the cotton industry in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and probably, you know, from a Jewish population that immigrated mm-hmm. in the 1800s. It's, it's such a peak inside an experience. And yeah. I think that idea of of aging and how we how we interact with each other around that, how we move from independence to dependence mm-hmm. and that maybe all along our independence is really an illusion because we mm-hmm. actually are better when we're interdependent. Just watching her move, you know, when she has that moment of the mental kind of break where you start to see some dementia happening mm-hmm. and she's running around the house and she's looking for her papers. And it's this time when she was the leader, she's mm-hmm. the person in control. And it's hard and that, that her own independent spirit that her son will name that Hoke has to interact with it can sometimes come off so maternalistic, mm-hmm. just, you know, when she's trying to teach him how to read and all of that kind of stuff. But that it's all goes into her, her idea of who she is. I'm a mother. I'm a teacher. I'm independent. I can do these things. Right. I don't need someone to drive me. That Then the giving into that and becoming actually dependent on each other. Yeah. That, that scene you referenced at the beginning, you know. You're my you're my best friend. Notice he does not say in return, and you are my best no. friend too. But no. but, no. but and that is her experience of the world. Mm-hmm. And then to have that visit in the nursing home as the closer, really emphasizing that it becomes about the you know, about their relationship. But, and I think I guess that's what I'm trying to get at about the the generational sort of claiming of poverty and stuff is that there does seem to be like this 
live the myth mm-hmm. kind of feel to this older generation. And Tandy may actually believe the myth that Hoke is her best friend. He's just, I think he just feels sorry for this old lady, you know, and well, like and the sharing of the pie at the end is like, yeah, that's the reality of it. It's like, well, and it becomes know. this, this, you know, this is a part of that larger movie cliche of the magical black person yes. who's here to come teach you all the lessons. Yes. And I'm not saying this movie created that, but is definitely a trope. It lives in it. I mean, just the introduction of Hoke, right? He's the one that's able to solve the riddle of the elevator to get the workers out. It's all about how they transform the other person. Yeah. She does not shift a bunch. (laughs) Like, you would expect her, if we were really, really knee-deep into the magical black person idea here, then then she would have invited him to that dinner, that MLK dinner. Because we were further enough along. Oh, that's true. And she would have, they would have sat there together. When we were talking about their Jewishness and the denial of their Jewishness in favor of a myth of who their family is in Atlanta, it's the fact that they're totally okay with doing Christmas parties and having Christmas lights and giving Christmas presents. Mm -hmm. It's like this – it's this total adoption of, okay, well, if we're going to be society people here, this is what we have to do even though it's not who we are. Right. Right? We have to live the myth. Well, and that has been – that is some of the privilege of being white is that you can choose to pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they're not passing because they're still Jewish. Right. Um, you know, Hoke cannot pass. And that's the second note that I wrote under this generational difference thing is this idea of people as commodities. And the, and at no point do you have the sense that characters are able to move out of their assigned roles in this movie. Hoke mm-hmm. is always going to be, the driver, the caretaker. He's nothing else. He's not going to be anything else. No. Neither is Esther Roll. Right. Neither is, you know, they may get paid a little bit more, but that's what they're going to be. They're not going to inherit the house. It's not, this is not right. that story. Right. Classic. Going on 30 question. Who is this movie for, Betsy? It's for boomers grappling with their aging parents. <laughs> God, mom. Oh, I did wonder why Bully's character never had children, especially yeah, when it was pretty clear that the author was the child of that relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I, that's why I think this is for. I have written uh, lovers of American mythology. So people who use phrases like. Um, the founding fathers, you oh, know, there we go. or America's the greatest nation in the world. You know, people that say things like that. These are yeah. the people that love this movie. Yeah. I'm sure people who use the term bootstraps in a positive, <laughs> positive way. I worked hard for all this. I'm not giving hard. it to anybody else. Nope. Uh, what is your rating for this movie out of five? And oh. why? I always forget to ask you why, why? Do you rate it that? But what is your rating and why? Giving it a three out of five. Oh, nice. Straight down the middle. Straight down the middle. Well, by comparison, this is my lowest ranked movie. Because <laughs> I tend to, maybe I'm a little too Pollyanna and friendly. Um, other than, unlike you. But. Hey, I've given out a five. I don't think you've ever given a five. No, I've never given out a five. That's true. 
So maybe I'm the muddy middle. Maybe I'm the Church of Revelation and God doesn't like it. I need to be more declarative. I don't know. I felt like because I felt like this film was just kind of fine. It's kind right. of fine. Yeah. Yeah. It totally is. It's a fine movie. That's yeah. a that's the best you can say about it. Yeah. That's the best word I can say. So what about you? Uh, I give it a two out of five. Because I'm with you, it's a fine movie. I could go straight down the middle, but going straight down the middle makes me feel bad about the movie. So I docked it a point for making me angry. I do have a recommendation that came back to me based off of this movie that I want to do a shout out for. When I lived in New Orleans, I had two brothers who lived below us, the Bain brothers. And Mm -hmm. Brian Bain was a filmmaker. And he's a third generation Jew in New Orleans. So he made a documentary traveling all over the South. Mm-hmm. And it's called Shalom, Y'all, The Story of Jews in the South. Oh, interesting. So I would recommend that documentary. I have no idea how to get your hands on it. No, I would but like it. it is, but Brian Bain is the director. What? Two out of five. This movie has little to offer. Okay, I was a little harsh when I wrote this. I was channeling my inner Pauline Kale. It's worse than bad in that it's a fine movie that's not exceptional and not terrible. Just straight down the middle. It's a low-stakes affair that has nothing to say and no great insight to impart. Yeah. I must have been in a bad mood. Maybe. Telling it like it is. That's right. I keep it real here. No American mythology for us. Keep it real. Uh, One last question, and that is, why did the Academy nominate this movie? Well, they like movies that seem to tackle social issues, mm-hmm. but don't go in as hard as they probably could. Yeah. So if I'm looking at why, say, they nominated this movie as opposed to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has a much more feel-goody ending to it mm-hmm. that the other does not. The Academy loves a movie that hits you in the feels... Mm-hmm. about a social issue mm-hmm. but doesn't make you grapple with that social issue yes agreed like i'm trying to think of like hidden figures i think mm-hmm. falls into this category green book obviously falls into this category yeah those are two recent examples i can think of all right all right That's it. we did it so what's our next one we are moving to Iowa next time. We are going to the Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. And the Heartland, the American Heartland. Talk uh, so about Field Americana. Of Dreams. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Boy, if you thought this hit you in the feels, Ugh. just wait. We have it more, in the feels and the fields. Even more saccharin. Movie making coming up. Betsy, thank you for driving to the Piggly Wiggly with me. I, I I grew up and went to the Piggly Wiggly regularly, Greg. We had a Piggly Wiggly. My grandfather called it the Hoggly Woggly, and it made me laugh every single time. <laughs> we just called it the pig. And when I watched this movie with my daughter, she's like, was there honestly a grocery store named? <laughs> Absolutely. There still are. Absolutely. I think they're still around. I got t-shirts. You're welcome, Greg, anytime. Nice. As long as you um, bring a GPS. Mm Mm-hmm.